In India, a new goddess has been born. A goddess with a global relevance. And this is the Nordic Animism channel. My name is Arun Jana, and this is a video that describes an example of a new and very functional myth that I think we all need. Uh, a goddess that perhaps all contemporary people with animist understanding, be that Nordic or indigenous or whatever, uh, should consider venerating. Uh, and that is uh, Corona or uh, Corona Devi. Uh, when I was making this uh, video, I uh, actually realized that this is, has become the third video which is sort of loosely focused around a, um, an issue of myth as a kind of tool for uh, cultural healing. And I made uh, one video about the uh, urgent importance of myth today, and uh, I made another one about how contemporary myth we weaving has gone really dysfunctional and how animist understanding can enable us to, uh, to make myths uh, more competently. And this video here, uh, I, I'll use to exemplify this, right? Uh, exemplify with the emergent new corona goddess, which is, uh, uh, I think, incredibly important uh, in this uh, particular historic moment. So myth is like tradition. It, it's fluid, it's organic and alive. And that, that, this is a little bit what I sometimes sense as a problem with the kind of mythology uh, often envisioned, for instance, by many uh, contemporary heathens. It, it seems to me to be very static and very locked in a very distant past that is sort of guarded by this scholarly almost priesthood who, uh, because of the nature of their methodology, of course, and the objectives of their research, mostly deconstruct myths. Uh, to most scholarship, myth is not a tool to do something, it's rather an object of, stu of study. Uh, and, and therefore scholars mostly don't have it as their agenda to manifest the god Frey today, but rather to try to assess the probability with which we can make certain claims about what people in a tightly defined time and geographical area in the very, very distant past perhaps had of specific thoughts and practices with regards to Frey, to Frey, right? You see, these are two quite different objectives, and they define quite different projects. Uh, but that actually doesn't mean that we can't use scholarship to the first project to manifest Frey today. In my view, you know, we, we could actually do that. Do that. The only thing we need to do is to swallow some idiosyncrasies uh, and, and take a firm hold of our balls and apply uh, some more updated new animist thinking. Uh, I understand this as individuation studies, and my own PhD is one attempt to sort of explore these uh, principles based on uh, the thinking of some other scholars, uh, Nuit Bert, David, David, Marilyn Stratham, and so on. That's a long story. Uh, but uh, the topic of this video is a good example of how live, transformational, organic myth is being brought into being. Myth that, that lets us relate to events as intentional. And this is a myth that I think it makes sense to narrate and support, actually, because it serves to reveal events, the COVID pandemic, as an encounter with a being that manifests in this event, right? 
And, um, and by the way, uh, it, it is the failure to think like this that makes many modern people create conspiracy theories. Because modernity ruptures our capacity to see personhood in the world. So we start jumping through all kinds of weird hoops and violating our intelligence in so many ways in making up these stories about human actors who are perhaps creating the corona in order to control all of us by implementing microchips in our bodies and through vaccines and, you know, all these things. Uh, they're all about human actors sort of driving the corona. And perhaps it has been engineered and stuff like this. These stories come because we still have the urge to understand the intention in events. But modernity tells us that corona has no intention. It's just a virus. So we, we sort of desperately create myths of human actors as the intention driving the, the, the pandemic. But people who are less burdened by this modern idea that there is no subjectivity, no personhood or no agency in trees, in animals, in landscape formations, in water, weather phenomena, in events. These people, they still experience the subjectivity in an important event such as the corona pandemic. And they still relate with corona through this most human way of understanding anything, personifying. And that is what these people in Uttar Pradesh in northern India are doing. They pray to corona to protect them against the disease. And in doing that, they're engaging the pandemic as a goddess, a new goddess, the Corona Devi. Now, to many modern people, this may, may seem counterintuitive that they're asking Corona to protect them against the virus. But, but in fact, it, it, it's actually not. You know? Deities are paradox, paradoxical beings. Uh, they often live out of exactly these kind of contradictions. A bit like Christ being brutally murdered. And that is the vehicle for his promise of life eternal, right? Or Thor, an ultimately masculine deity who loses his hammer, perhaps his phallus, but in transgressing, in becoming effeminized in the myth where he goes to Thrym, you know, he wins back his manhood, right? Uh, there's also an example of from West Africa, uh, which is particularly obvious as a parallel to this new goddess, and that is the god Umulu or Babalu uh, Shopona, which emerged as the agent and subject of a smallpox ep epidemic in the 19th century. And this deity is the smallpox personified, in a sense, but also so much more, and very much the cure. Uh, and there is this close duality uh, between the disease and the cure for the disease. So to many uh, many doctors today, they actually have this deity as their patron spirit, for instance, in, in, in Brazil or Cuba. And there is a logic in this that the intention that drives the subjectivity, that drives the disease, also controls it somehow. But um, perhaps even more importantly, when we're talking about these Afro-descendant religions, there's also another thing. And that is what uh, scholars of religion have, uh, have named the cult of affliction. When people get ill, that is often perceived as sort of almost like a message that a deity is unhappy. And this is not just doesn't just count for, for Umulu, the god of smallpox. It's actually generic for different deities uh, that typically they want a person for initiation uh, and they want to 
to, uh, to tighten or consolidate a bond with that person, and therefore it makes the person ill. Now, and this is the logic of this cult of affliction, which I actually think is universal to humans. Uh, I'm sure that you can find the same logic in many different cultural settings. A problem or a disease is a personal thing, is a call to action, a call to form a bond that is perhaps broken or needs to be consolidated in a certain way. And in, in, in some sense, the initiation is, is the answer. One really good example from Scandinavia is the, uh, the intensity of gold finds in Denmark immediately after the so-called Fimbul winter. People responded to climate change as a ruptured bond with the world. So they desperately tried, tried to uh, reforge this bond by giving the best they had, and that was a gold. So huge amount of gold has been found in Danish archaeology from a very short period, which is immediately after the, uh, the hardcore climate change hit Scandinavia in the 6th century. Right, so Corona Devi could be said to present the global contemporary civilization with such a call. Maybe a call to initiation, you know, reforge the bond that we've lost. A call to go through some cultural transition, yeah, initiation, uh, in order to create a culture that is less destructive. And uh, this can sound a little bit hard because people have lost uh, loved ones in the corona epidemic. Uh, but let us also just remember that we think about this as a serious problem, but from the point of view of global humanity, it's really not. Not compared to what we are facing. Everybody's talking about how bad 2020 was, and, uh, but it's still nothing compared to the collapse that is immediately ahead of us. The Sahara expanding 700 kilometers to the north and the south. South, now that is a catastrophe, and that's what we're facing. Um, gigantic human uh, catastrophe, and this corona fatigue, I think it's a bit of an expression of a kind of a privileged sort of Forrest Gump existence. I mean, you think 2020 was hard? Think about 1944 uh, for a second, how hard that year felt. Yes, we have to stay at home and we have to wear annoying masks and people have lost jobs. And, uh, but we're not sending our sons to fight fascism with a like 40% chance of ever seeing them again. You know, This is a problem. It's a serious problem, but it's not a catastrophe. And we are faced with real catastrophe. The, the, the numbers and statistics in the climate developments, they are still catastrophic. We thought that the corona lockdown would perhaps inspire countries to transform to uh, sustainable uh, production, sustainable energy, but they totally haven't. And uh, the facts are, it seems that we have not heard the call of Corona Devi to take our bond with the world seriously. Huh? And let us look at a little bit at what Corona has actually been teaching us. Uh, yeah, she has shown us the stick, uh, and people have suffered. Economies have been destroyed with fearsome human consequences. Um, but uh, Corona has also showed us other things. She has uh, showed, showed us a world with, with fewer airplanes. We used to travel all, all over the world like crazy. I used to be sick of being in airports because I was always going somewhere else. Um, a world with uh, fewer cars on the streets. Fewer cruise ships. Corona has led people to uh, discover nature. 
It has given us cleaner rivers, cleaner air. Several endangered species have gotten a little bit of a respite. The uh, lockdown has given people some time to be with their families. Societies, different societies have, have considered uh, implementing a citizen salary. Uh, in the city of Amsterdam, uh, they implemented the uh, sustainability-based donut model for how to run sustainable uh, human economy. This came uh, directly uh, as a, a function of the corona. Um, we've had a period with less hysterically hectic work lives. Our lives are so stressed. And I think this is like a domination strategy of sorts. People who are stressed don't think well, basically. Uh, we're being domesticated by, uh, by being stressed. Um, there's also because, uh, we have also gotten a new focus on who are actually the important people in our society. The people behind the counters, the nurses, the teachers, uh, you know, uh, these are actually important people, the essential people. Not all those pathetic coaches and optimizing consultants and new public management implementers and certainly, definitely not self-righteously over-educated YouTubers, right? <clears throat> People are also forced to, uh, um, at least consider, we've been forced to consider bringing productions and markets closer to each other. So we're not transporting stuff all over the place in these meaningless ways all the time. Perhaps bringing our uh, consumption closer to the environments that supply our more or less insane gluttony, you know. Uh, in Denmark, we've uh, been blessed with, uh, I wouldn't have thought I'd hear myself say this, but a quite competent government. Uh, I think small countries are also uh, easier to handle. My partner's from France, and it's a difficult uh, thing to handle such a big ship. Um, and uh, and these, uh, our government here showed really, you know, the kind of balls that I didn't think social democrats still, social democrats still had. You know, overnight they just closed down an atrocious and polluting mink fur production that should have been closed down anyway. <clears throat> but they saw, okay, this is possibly an incubator for a new mutant corona that was always already going around. So they just went out and closed it. This was really impressive level of, uh, of action. Um, and perhaps it was also Corona who inspired the incredible feat it's been to create and to distribute the vaccine so quickly. This has, this has been described as like the moon landing of epidemiology response. She, in a sense, was inspired this. And perhaps this also shows us that we can do it. If we pull our heads out of our asses and work together, then we can do incredible things. We're the human species, the custodial species, as Juncker Porter calls it, of this, this planet here. Our, our closest relatives in the animal world, they can climb a high tree, but we've put our primate foot on the moon. They can pick termites, termites you know, out of a termite hive on, on a straw, but we can send a nanoprobe with a microscopic laser gun, you know, through the tear duct of another human being and operate away a couple of cells inside the brain that are behaving weirdly. You know, we're the humans. We can do this. You know, in a sense, we're too uh, amazing to not realize that we're not the only Persons, the only people in this world deserving of respect. The others deserve our respect too. We need to extend our humanity back 
to also uh, uh, showing kindness and respect to the others, the non-humans. Um, yeah. Corona has also brought societies together in new ways. Like here in Denmark, uh, there's been a sense of solidarity, like we're standing together against this thing. And this has had, I think, an authentically cultural feel to it. For instance, Danes have uh, refound their rich culture of common singing, singing together. But this is blissfully relieved of this pathetic cultural nationalism that often rides this country like a mare. Uh, in fact, I actually sense that that it has compromised the most loathsome stain on our culture, which is this uh, degenerate trend of uh, Islamophobia that has, I think, soiled this country and striven to reduce Danish culture to this kind of retrograde hate speech. This hasn't disappeared, of course, but like other polluting factors, it has at least gotten a little whack on the head. You know? And uh, I think we need people to hear the call of Corona more, much more. We don't just need Corona Davy to heal our old and vulnerable or protect them so they don't contract COVID-19. Uh, we, uh, we need her to teach us the urgency of transformation, a transformation that our society needs to enter a kind of cultural initiation, a cultural healing of sorts. Um, <clears throat> Perhaps our civilization needs another whack on the head from her. I don't know. <laughs> uh, because it seems that we, like, overall, we're still too dumb to, to be able to listen properly to what's being said here uh, and, and, and understand that there are bonds that we need to reforge. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so, in honor of uh, Corona, I'll just show you <laughs> the most amazing image that I've seen of Corona during this uh, strange year that was 2020. Because after Corona came to Italy, she was uh, filmed uh, alone in the locked-down uh, Italian town of Salento. And uh, these images just struck me like a hammer. Uh, and even with this shaken, handheld, you know, phone cam, they, they still uh, bring me to tears, actually, when I see it. Here she is uh, dancing in this empty town in defiance of the pandemic and she's dancing uh, what might be the most ancient um, living pagan ritual of Western Europe, the ecstatic dance of the Taranta. Uh, and uh, to me this is the most fresh and new goddess talking through or manifesting in this ancient ritual. And I think uh, I see this as uh, Corona calling us through this ancient rite to find the ancient connection where we practice a bond with the world instead of uh, destroying it. So uh, here you have the goddess Corona uh, as uh, manifested by uh, the dancer Esther Annunziata who's dancing to the Taranta by uh, Canzoniere Grecanego Salentino.
pieno c'è che luce nel cuore La gente sabbia l'uomo di curare La gente sabbia l'uomo di curare Ci ludo male se, ci ludo male se Ci ludo male se Ci è da consentire, ci è da consentire, ci è da consentire, non